The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you. It's Cabinet Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, is mostly always, is my co-host, Stephen Brown. And uh, to, this would have been a great week to go like, hey, let's talk about Wakanda Forever. That was a big, long movie with lots and lots of stuff. Yeah, uh, lots and lots to talk about. Yeah, and then uh, people kept dying. So, yeah. uh, first, I believe it was a week ago, Kevin O'Neill, who uh, drew League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Alan Moore, passed away. Yeah. And then uh, Carlos Pacheco, who I know is a personal favorite of yours. Yeah. Classic Marvel and DC artist. And then on top of all that, Kevin Conroy passed away at the age of 66. Yeah. A lot of these guys, too. um, I'm not I'm unfamiliar with. um, uh, I know at least with Pacheco and Kevin Conroy there, they were ill and I didn't know they were ill. You know what I mean? A lot of these guys kept this kind of stuff private. Um, and then they pass away and it kind of happens suddenly. And you're just like, man, you're, you're prepared for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Kevin Conroy, they said uh, he had cancer, but it said he didn't have it long. I think it, I think it was really aggressive oh. and he didn't tell anybody. The last news I heard about Kevin Conroy was like six months ago. He came out and I was like, Oh, good. Oh, he came out. I didn't know he that. Came out. Yeah. And oh. I was like, I was like, Oh, isn't that nice? And I'm wondering if it was like, if he was getting so, if, if things were getting bad, he's like, I'm not, gonna, like, I'm not keeping any secrets, but yeah. He was well, I think with him, it's really cool because it's he was obviously Batman for like multiple generations. Just yeah, because thirty he, years, this is going to be. Yeah, the, we just passed the thirty-year anniversary of Batman the Animated Series of him starting, and mm-hmm. it's not only started. that; it's that he got to like play Batman live action. He Finally. did it in that yeah, show re- recently in Batwoman. Yeah, and I think it's like um, it's it's good that he got like. I mean, they took care of that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, now well, he, his legacy was well established, and he was, uh, and he was one of those guys that like you didn't see a lot of other credits. Like he did some TV, but he was yeah. primarily a Broadway guy. He was a New York guy, and uh, just one of many, many, many people that auditioned for the role of Batman, and seemed to get it on a level that you know even arguably Christian Bale didn't. Yeah, I think I'd say he's probably still the best Batman. It's even though you give him a handicap for never having really played him live in like a costume and the whole thing. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, the voice he plays more of a Bruce Wayne in the one live action. Right. I mean, but he even was a great Bruce Wayne too. So it's like he's he's he was just so good and so iconic. It's like Mark Hamill's the Joker. You know what I mean? It's like uh yeah, everyone goes Google Gaga for like Heath Ledger and everything, but it's like uh, Mark Hamill is like still like the classic Joker. And it's like that those shows did such a wonderful job of just like cementing um, classic versions of all those characters. It's like, it's kind of hard to picture. And maybe just because I was like ground zero for that kind of stuff, being such a you know young kid watching it. It's just, it's just like, um, I don't know. It's like the Mr. Freeze design is perfect. Like the Harley Quinn is like this unique creation is perfect. It's like that show was kind of like magic and it wouldn't have been the same show without Kevin Conroy doing the voice. It's like, it was just such a perfect 
Right it now. even sounded like the old timey, like they kept drawing Gotham, like it was like some neo future, like 1940s, like crazy town. And it's like even his voice sounded like a guy that would live in a city like that. Yeah. Now, how old were you when uh, it started? I'm assuming you were I'm assuming you um, weren't so young that you missed the beginning of it. No, we saw all of them. So whenever it premiered, I was probably like six or seven. I was born 86. So, you know, what year to come out? 92. It's this is the 30 year anniversary. It was the fall right after Batman Returns. So Batman Returns was out in theaters in the summer. And then as the movie was winding down, Fox was like, hey, there's gonna be a cartoon. Yeah, and they did like I don't know how whatever however they used to advertise the people that shows were gonna be on. There was I I remember I remember this very clearly because I was 20. Uh, I was well in college and I was a huge Batman fan. So I was at Batman Returns opening day and I was buying pretty much everything DC was putting out at the time. So there was actually an article in the New York Times about like, hey, there's going to be this Batman cartoon. I remember reading it before it came out. Yeah. And I have this weird memory and I don't know if it's apocryphal or if it's like a, you know, like a Shazam Shaquille O'Neal kind of thing. But I remember... In like 1990, in my senior year for like current events, we all had subscriptions to Time Magazine. And I remember reading the entertainment section that there was going to be like a Batman cartoon and they were designs of like a Michael Keaton animated Batman. And then it just, I never heard of that ever again. Yeah. And at the time I was like, well, that makes sense. There's a movie. There'll be a movie cartoon. I'll watch it. And it just disappeared. And then suddenly like the end of the summer, uh, probably because... At the time, I mean, Batman and Reanimators, it was such a game changer that when, even when they made it, they thought only kids were really going to watch it. Yeah. You know, uh, which is just so crazy that they had like this insane like uh, art production on it. This like show looked like unlike anything else and the fucking orchestra. You know what I mean? Real, well, at that point, Warner Brothers just owned an orchestra. Yeah. So, like you were a cello player that worked for Warner Brothers. So you just went in every day and like, Hey, oh, today, today you're doing Batman. Yeah, today you're doing a Mel Gibson movie. Tomorrow you're doing Animaniacs. And you're like, yeah. ah, I don't care. I'm playing the cello. Right. <laughs> oh, so it was kind of free for them to use, but they did put a lot into it, but there wasn't a lot of build up. It just kind of came out. And maybe it was also because it was the same year as Batman Returns that they put all of their marketing behind the movie. Right. And that makes like, sense. Oh, like, this is going to be a quick tie in. It's like we had Super Friends running for 15 years. So right. it really doesn't matter. Uh, but like it was like a week before. And then they they threw it on primetime just to test it out. They uh, they put the Man Bad episode on primetime like a Sunday night. And then I remember that Saturday morning, it was the Red Claw two-parter. Because it was okay. the first one they had with Catwoman and Batman Returns had just wrapped up. And I remember, I remember watching it. And uh, at this point, this is the same year that X-Men premieres. But X-Men doesn't premiere till Halloween. Okay. So Batman Returns, Batman the Animated Series was the only thing really on. I remember just getting up and watching it and thinking, well, this is really different. This is really not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. And, but everything about it was quality. And then after that Saturday, they they ran it during the week. So I was in college. So I was usually home by four because I was done with classes and I went home. And by the end of that week, I was completely obsessed with it. And then it's so amazing how quickly things happen because now we hear about anything when it's worked on. 
Oh but yeah. It's like like within a week there was a show and then it was on every day. And then like a month later there were action figures at Toys R Us. Yeah. And I was like, oh okay, I guess I get it's all this. here now. Yeah, and it's slow. I I remember it it was seemed like this oddity, but it slowly grew. It was just like, oh wow, everything is really good. And it did not take long to before it became like the center of the superhero universe. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it, in a lot of it, it's the same thing with X-Men. It's so much of it is wrapped up in the voices and like whoever was doing like talent acquisition in the nineties for voices was like absolutely killing it because it's like they had, and there wasn't, there was some crossover, you know what I mean? You'd recognize like voices here and there from different cartoons, but it was like, oh man, it's like cartoon voices in the nineties just was like gold. Yeah, a lot of that was at Warner Brothers was Andrea Romano. She would had been casting Tiny Toons, and um, she liked to reach outside the vo- the voiceover community, which which was good because at that time it was like you know you heard like Michael Bell on everything, you know, like, like Frank same, Welker. Uh, yeah, into, it was a very small group. community. Yeah, but because she reached out, uh, she started giving people work where they became part of the community, like you know. By reach, but because Mark Hamill wanted to be a part of Batman, just being a geek, Mark Hamill is still like one of the preeminent uh, voiceover people of this generation. Like yeah. she broke a lot of people in, and Kevin Conroy was one of them. And he just had, and she said at the time she didn't want cartoony voices because this was a film noir. She wanted dramatic actors. So Kevin Conroy had come from soap operas and um, and Broadway, a yeah. lot of drama and. Uh, so people weren't really being winky about it. And I think that was one of the things that made it different because I, at the time I had grown up with super friends. And as I said, I was like an older comic fan. Now an older comic fan is 70, but at that yeah. point I thought I was a 19 year old older yeah. comic book fan. So there was this kind of um, assumption that you were going to deal with a lot of stuff that was beneath your age level. That you were like, oh, Super Friends are on. I'll watch the Super Friends, and I know they're talking to six year olds, but I'll just right. and watch it. And Batman the Animated Series didn't do that. And I was like, well, what's wait, what's going on with this? And I would just watch it over and over and over again. And then I realized there were so many subtle things they were doing for a cartoon that was very minimalist. You know, they didn't have a lot of detail. Like everything, they had a limited color palette. Everything was just kind of big bold outlines. You'd think it'd be simplistic, but they had people like Kevin Conroy, like doing little subtle shading of emotions. Yeah. That, that would pull you in. Just the fact that they took time to do emotion and not just, you know, super friends. It's like, um, everyone on super friends is the same character. Yeah. There's a a bad guy and there's a good guy and you could just change the lines around. It doesn't matter if everyone is kind of shouting. Yeah. Everyone on it sounds like their headphones are not turned up enough. Yeah. They're very excited about everything they're doing. Everything's like Superman over here. We've got a birthday cake. And it has its charm, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, but they're all, there's no characters in that show. And that was something with Batman the Animated Series is like all the characters were characters. You know what I mean? It's like you understood who Harley Quinn was. You knew what Mr. Freeze or who that character was. It's like Two-Face. These were great episodes. You know, they did it. It was just like a really, really well done show. It was so well done that uh, that as the movies went on, the movies started to get measured to the cartoon. Yeah. And, and well, come up short because, our, you know, when... Uh, 
by the time Batman and Robin comes out, they're using the the Mr. Freeze story from the animated series, which was right. not taken from a comic. That's a story Paul Dini invented and not doing it right. <laughs> and literally people were like, this isn't as good as the Saturday morning cartoon. Right. And the fucking cartoon had a movie that came out at the same time. They did the Sub-Zero animated movie, which was like 10 times better. It's Yeah. And that was it, meant to, that was meant to tie in. Right. And it beat it. it it does say a lot about it that a cartoon kind of like really cemented and found its like foothold in what a lot of people think of when they think of like iconic Batman or when they hear the sound of Batman. It's like there's like um it was an Instagram video or something of like Michael Heaton going around or on YouTube or something where he was giving like a speech at a college. And he's like, and I've, he did his whole speech, got a standing applause. He was about to leave. He turned back to the microphone. He said something like, I've got three more words for you guys, three more words for everybody here. And he leaned in the microphone. He said, I'm Batman or two more words or whatever it is. And everyone goes nuts and applauds and everything. And Michael Keaton is a very iconic Batman, but I think Kevin Conroy is probably the next big iconic Batman for a lot of people, especially I think my generation, just from being, like I said, that young kid watching that. And that's the voice we heard every Saturday. And I thought the episodes were out of order when we first saw him. Cause like the man bad episode starts and he's already Batman, you know? And yeah, I was like, very much standalones. There's no, unlike X-Men. Where yeah. it was like chapter one, chapter two, they were made to be because they were going to be every day. They were made to not have a lot of continuity, but yeah, there's no origin. Yeah, episode. I guess there's flashbacks, but right, it's like they do the flashbacks eventually, but then like Red Claw was like the next episode, and we were like, "Where's the Joker? Give me the Riddler." <laughs> you it know, took, we it, I remember it took like a week or two yeah. to get to Joker, and it took a couple of months to get to Riddler. Yeah, it was cool to like wait and kind of see how the design of the characters would look it was like it's another thing like visually they had so many like darwin cook worked on that show it's like they had so mike mignola created uh mr freeze yeah mr freeze's look it's like so many like really good like comic talent worked on that show or there was a lot of crossover between the two but um yeah uh it's it, yeah it was sad news to hear like i said it, i didn't know the guy was sick first of all um but it was like i said it was nice that he had this like full circle moment of like uh, it would seems like we're kind of spoiled now for this like nostalgia or maybe it's just this is my generation just really getting hammered with it now because I'm at that age. But it's like Michael Keaton coming back to do Batman. It's like uh, Patrick Stewart got one last go around as Professor X and, um, and Picard with, uh, with Picard and Professor X mm -hmm. with the Marvel movies. It's like uh, Kevin Conroy got to come back and actually play a live version of like Bruce Wayne on, on television. So it's like, it's nice that these guys kind of got like um, a send off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, you're right. There is this kind of rolling. Well, and the thing about Kevin Conroy was Kevin Conroy never came back. He was always there. Yeah, that's true. He never really he, went away. He constantly worked as Batman because he went from Batman, the animated series to the Gotham Knights, which is now just considered the final season of Batman the Animated Series, and then Batman Beyond, he came back as an older Batman, and then really a whole second life with the video games. Yeah, there I mean, were... Justice League. He was yeah. he did all these seasons of Justice League, and then, yeah, I, did, I always forget, because I never really got into those video games, but yeah, he did. Video I mean, games I, were monumental. I think. Yeah, they were huge. The Arkham video games were a huge, huge part of Batman. I'd say probably... Uh, I would say those are almost on par with the impact on... As Batman is as a franchise, those video games had probably as much of an impact as the animated series did because that dictates how all those characters look in the comics now. 
Riddler didn't look like a punk rock idiot until those video games came out. You know what I mean? Right. It's like they, um, yeah, Harley didn't wear bustiers and dye her hair. Right. Blue it's and like red until those video games were like a truck hitting the Batman franchise. Cause it pushed everything in this one direction. And we're still in that. It's still very right. much the same, um, you know, right. direction it, for Batman and Kevin Conroy is a ground zero of that too. You know, exactly. I mean? he did the nineties and the two thousands. Yeah. And you're right. We haven't, we haven't had that sea change since I, I think, especially with the video games, the new 52 happened right, right uh, after that. And it was so quick that like Jim Lee designed the justice league and yeah. then, but they were like, all right, but what's the penguin? What's the Riddler? What's Harley? And they were like, just use a video game. Everybody. Yeah. Silly. I mean, they tweaked them a little bit like they are always gonna, but it, it was straight versions of essentially what the video game had done. Right. Um, and the, and the video game had was a lot like the animated series and where it felt like, this balance of everything that you like about the character, like, but put in one place where, where it's like Adam West is like one thing, the needles all the way to the left. Yeah. You know, and Nolan, like the needles all the way to the right. And it always felt like Batman, the animated series, and then Arkham using Paul Dini and Kevin Conroy and, and Mark Hamill, they just shot right up the middle and they were like, we're going to take things from everything you like about this character. And that's what pulled me into Batman the animated series. Was as as I said, I'd been a diehard Batman reader since the late '80s, and everything I saw in that, I was like, "Yep, that feels like that character. That feels like that character. That feels like this is the world they live in." And and when they announced that he passed away, I put on um, two really random episodes. Like everybody was talking about, like, "Oh, you should watch Nothing to Fear. You should watch Robin's Reckoning. You should you should watch Heart of Ice." and I uh, I put on Never Fear, which is in the second series. It's a uh, the Scarecrow episode where Scarecrow is you know like a like a hangman with a noose around his oh, neck. Oh yeah, he's like super creepy. <laughs> yeah, and and I forgot that he's recast in that the Jeffrey Combs who's doing the voice, who's uh, who's reanimator. Oh, okay. and uh, and was on Star Trek all the time, and he's got this this cool oily voice. Uh, it's the creepiest episode, but I watched that because. In that story, Batman, uh, the the story in that is that Scarecrow has a toxin that takes away your fear and that people start doing like really dangerous things. Okay. Like people start jumping off of buildings and uh, they're a danger to themselves. And, and Batman gets dosed with it. And it's this subtle, there's just a subtle shift. And it's an episode with Robin in it where he's explaining to Robin while they're flying the plane and the plane is almost hitting buildings. <laughs> And it's like there's just near misses while he's flying through Gotham. And Robin goes, Robin goes, hey, this gas, did you breathe any of it? And beautiful Kevin Conroy, he just goes, yeah, but I can handle it. <laughs> he just starts like ducking things. And then there gets to the point where he gets so dangerous. Robin ties him up and he's like, you're out of control. And he's like, he's like, I can't trust you. And um, and Batman go, and Batman like takes a deep breath and he goes, you're right. I was out of control. You're in charge now. You're in charge of this mission. I'll listen to you. Just untie me. And Robin looks at him and went, you almost had me fooled. And he loses it. And he's like, untie me. It was like wow. so many subtle shades. I was like, there were so many half levels to Batman there. Because he always did a great job of having Bruce Wayne and Batman be different characters. But like he did like a lying Batman and like an out of control Batman. And, and there were just subtle, subtle shades. That you wouldn't expect in anything superhero, much less the cartoon. 
Yeah. I watched that, and then I watched um, Harley Quinnade, which was an episode where uh, Batman has to team up with Harley Quinn to find the Joker because oh, yeah. he's got a bomb. And he's and, being like nice to her, and she's like, "Yeah, it's really and, a sweet episode." And and it reminded me of what you just said. They everything was just perfect because it's like, oh yeah, Kevin Conroy is the perfect Batman. Uh, Harley Quinn was created for Arlene Sorkin. Yeah, I mean, um, the famous stories that Paul Dini was a friend of Arlene's in college and when he was writing the character was only supposed to appear in one episode. He was like, Oh, you know what? This would be great for this character. Arlene had done on a soap opera that I watched. And then, so he wrote it with her in mind. And then he's like, let's bring her in and audition her. And she came up with the Brooklyn accent and all that to the point where, you know, 30 years later, you get an Australian supermodel to learn a Brooklyn accent right? to play it in a movie. And then of course, as I said, Mark Hamill is the Joker. And I'm, not only as I was watching it, not only were these things all perfect, but I was like, wow, they're hitting all the notes that make this character work. You know, they're like Batman's Batman can lean back and be a straight man. Batman can be intense. There's a great moment in that where he brings Harley into the into the Batmobile and she just starts pushing all the buttons. And she's like, I want to listen to the radio and like starts shooting missiles. And he, he grabs her arm and he goes, he goes, you don't touch anything, say anything, or do anything unless I tell you. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, that's that it's that's who these characters are. They're a hundred percent what I think of when I think of those characters. Yeah. And I haven't I haven't read a lot of Batman lately. I was reading Tom yeah. King and uh I'm I fell way behind on Batman Catwoman. I'll eventually pick up the graphic novel read, but I don't read him monthly anymore. And I was like, oh yeah, because this is my Batman. As, as you said, this is the Batman you grew up with. But this is also the Batman I came to as an established fan. And I'm still like, no, this is exactly my Batman. Yeah, I think it was, it's like getting the right people in the room to do it, not people that don't understand the character. You know, we can kind of talk ad nauseum about Ed, uh, Snyder or whatever, these kinds of guys, the new crop of DC filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen Black Adam, so I don't know. Maybe that's brilliant. I, like, I didn't go. I thought about going. I actually had the day free and walked past the movie theater uh, with my girlfriend. She's like, you want to see a movie? I was like, well, I guess we could see Black Adam. And we kept walking. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, see, I would have seen it, I think, if I had a free night. I just haven't in a while. But it's at this point, I think I'll just wait for HBO. Um, but the, the it's just like these people that worked on the show really understood the character on like a yeah. fundamental level. But then had like a, a vision for the character that would work, but that shouldn't have. You know, it's like it's like the show even visually just doesn't look like the type of show that a, that like an, an executive at a network would like sign off on and be like, oh yeah, you can do this show in this like yeah, the Fleischer first, inspired. Yeah, like, the first time I saw it. that Batman, I'm like, what's with his chin? Yeah. What's with? I'm like, he's got a like a round. He's got a small round head, and he's got this big rectangle chin. Yeah, I'm like he's got no definition. His body's just wide. I'm like, what the? Me and my brother used to draw um, in the style of Bruce Tim mm -hmm. because of the cartoon. We draw Batman like the images we could find. And my grandma would always yell at us. She's like, why are you drawing those guys with those skinny little ankles? She's like, their ankles are so skinny because <laughs> yep. Bruce Timm's characters slimmed down like that. Especially when the second series, when he redesigned them. Oh, like, he gets even like more stylized. Those ankles were so skinny that the action figures couldn't support their yeah. own weight. It's crazy, but it's, they look, it looks cool. And especially like, like I said, X-Men comes out at the same time. 
you go back in and watch X-Men, you're like, oh yeah, that's the Jim Lee X-Men done on a Saturday yeah. morning budget. It make X-Men made makes more sense than Batman the animated series makes. Right. And uh Warner Brothers, to their credit, when they saw it, they were like, Well, this doesn't look like the movie. We're supposed to like make something based on the movie. And Bruce Tim was the one pushing, it was like, no, it's gonna be a synthesis of everything Batman, so we can keep it going. And it was the beginning of like having this multiverse branding. Because yeah, some, somebody yeah. at Warner Brothers was like, hey, wait a minute. If, if we do a different version for the cartoon, we can sell the toys twice. We can sell the lunchboxes twice. Right. We get, you know, everything doesn't have to look exactly the same for it to work. Yeah, they give a lot of credit to Marvel for the big cinematic universe, and that's really brilliant. And they did an incredible thing there. But Bruce Tim did the same thing. Well, not quite the same thing, but he his cartoons – just having the continuity, I remember that being such a big deal when I was a kid when they were said they were going to do a Superman show. I was like, holy shit. And then when you, it was the same Batman and was the same voice talents. It was like Harley Quinn showed up. It's like there was crossover between them. Then they did Batman Beyond and that tied in. It was like, then they did Justice League and that tied in. It was like. And it was they, all one show, basically. It was basically one show. It was just, it, and it, it wasn't like um, it fell apart or got terrible. It's like. There's some weaker storylines here and there, sure, some more bland episodes than others, but it's like th- we got a really, really solid DC universe for uh, a great chunk of time there. It's this is part of the reason why I have such a hard time with the comics is the comics the after the universe got rebooted like a dozen times in the last 10, 10 years, it's hard to think like what story matters or what counts in continuity, you know. But the DC animated universe did such a good job of nailing all those characters and iconic versions of all those characters. It's always hard to to divorce my idea of those characters from those shows because they were they did such a good job in my eyes. As, um, and then it's funny you mentioned that the they were designed. The Batman initially was not designed to just be these one offs. That it was I, I underestimated how much the Fleischer cartoons influenced that, especially that first Batman show that they did is it's very much like a modern day like Fleischer cartoon for Superman it's all there you know yeah yeah but it's but you're right but it, it's like the Fleischer Superman but mixed with like the burn Superman run and and also filtered the storytelling that they learned how to do on Batman yeah because they they perfected how to do a 20 minute superhero comic book yeah on, on really Batman did. the animated series and that was the the stumbling block they ran into with Justice League was that they they created it as an hour show and they didn't know how to do it. Yeah. And they, they tried it as two partners and then they eventually gave up by the time it just going to leave unlimited. They were like, no, we're going back to 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. I didn't mind the experiment trying to make the longer episodes. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it. Yeah. I can't imagine. It's like, and even just juggling that many different characters. And then they were like, well, instead of just seven justice leaguers, let's do a hundred league members. You know, it was like, it was like somebody put George Perez in charge. You know, yeah. Well, that was the thing is like, where else could you go at that point? It just it was 10 years after Batman the Animated Series. It was yeah. like, we, they we did, did a Batman everything. show. We did a Superman show. They went to the future. They went to the past. Yes. You like, know? <laughs> like what else is left in DC? It is kind of, I mean, they used to call it the DCAU. Yeah. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the DC animated universe. And that terminology basically became the MCU. Right. Yeah. It's the same terminology. Yeah. And, but Kevin Conroy is constantly a touchstone because not only did he go from show to show to show to show, which ends up wrapping up around 2006 and then Arkham Knight is 2008, but they would just always bring him back for things. Like he would do an episode of Scooby-Doo as Batman. Yeah. He, 
there was a show called Justice League Action, which came and went, which you can't even find. It's not even streaming on HBO Max, but they got Kevin Conroy to come back and be Batman in that. It was like, if you if you didn't want to experiment with Batman, you know, because some of the, uh, when they moved to like the straight to DVD movies, sometimes yeah. it would be Kevin Conroy and sometimes it would be uh, Bruce Greenwood did a couple. And um, so they would change the voice every now and yeah, then but was, he was like he became the touchstone where you, you felt yeah. like you were coming home you weren't you i was never they never really picked anybody i thought that was terrible to do the voiceovers in those justice league mm -hmm. movies i used to watch um but it was always nice when they tried somebody different just to hear what other options were but it was always like oh yeah yeah it's still kevin conroy yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean it was it was more of like I don't know. Um, there was no new Kevin Conroy. I felt no, like. No, there wasn't anybody that you were like, oh, wow, this guy's doing it better or something. And a lot of that might just be was locked in so early. Or he had done, he has such a volume of doing it. I mean, this guy's got to have more hours of playing Batman than anybody else. Oh, yeah. You know I, I think I, I think he beats Adam West. Yeah. But, and, you know, and Adam West did a few of the animated series. He did like a 70s filmation animated series. And yeah. then he did a couple of seasons of Super Friends. But. Um, I think the thing that put Conroy ahead of Adam West was Adam Adam West, uh, depending on what Batman was in favor, he was either everyone's hero or he was a uh, subject to ridicule. Right. You know, when, when we had a serious Batman, people hated the 60s show. And then later people like brought him back. But Kevin Conroy, Kevin Conroy never got old. There were times where he was expected. It was like, yeah. oh, okay, there's Kevin Conroy doing Batman. But it never, I never like rolled my eyes. I was like, okay, here we go again. You know, I, it, I, it never got boring. Yeah, there's a, there's like a hammy element to Adam West that yeah. just doesn't exist with Kevin Conroy. Um, so maybe that's part of it. But yeah, it's well, because did, there's, a, um, there's a silliness to that original 60s show that was oh, sure, inherent, yeah. which is which was not in Batman the Animated Series. When Batman the Animated Series came out, we had two Tim Burton movies. So, so the thinking at Warner Brothers was like, oh no, this is going to be a serious action show for kids. Yeah. It's not going to be silly. Well, they even found the um, excuse to get him to sing on the show. Yeah, he sang in Justice, in Justice League. League, and I, I didn't know it when I saw it. I'm like, oh, that's really him. Like, I think I looked it up online. Like I said he was a Broadway guy. Yeah, so it makes sense. And I think I read in an interview somewhere that they were looking for a reason to get him to sing for years. They couldn't come up with a reason, and they said it was always such like it was one of those things that you think about it, and then like. You know, six months ago, by like, oh yeah, we really got to think of how to get him to sing on the show, and they couldn't figure it out until they. You know, I mean, like, way late in the series. Yeah, and from everything, I never got a chance to meet him. Uh, yeah, he did a lot of he conventions. He did a lot of conventions. Yeah, I, I, I never I, met him. I just never. I was just never in a panel where he was. Um, but uh, from all reports, he was. People just loved him. Mark Hamill. Uh, Mark Hamill said he was like a brother. Yeah. Uh, and Susan Eisenberg, who played Wonder Woman on Justice League, has been posting like pictures uh, at, at conventions and just telling stories. And he just seemed he loved he loved being Batman. He yeah. never let it go to his head. I think maybe because it was animated. Right. You know, that it was always he always told talked about it that, uh, you know, people would bring their kids up and say, this is Batman. And the kids would look at him and be like, that's not Batman. He was oh, yeah. a really thin guy, too. He didn't look like he had that build. And he would have to do the voice. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, Michael Keaton or Christian Bale would just get stopped anywhere they were. Right. They look at that man. So I think there was a, a kind of humility to it. Like, but with that Adam West honestly didn't have as, as great as Adam yeah. West was Adam West walked around like he was Batman for many, many years. Yeah. 
you know, Adam West was a little bent out of shape when somebody else would be that bad. Right. And Kevin Conroy didn't seem to have that. Uh, he didn't seem to feel like he owned the character. He was just uh, appreciated that he was. And yeah. It just so, seems like a good dude in the industry, and that's kind of rare, or maybe it's not, yeah. but it seems rare. Um, but yeah, it seems like we lost a good one. Yeah, and uh, the only upside is that uh, that show ages so well. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I watched them on HBO Max, and I was like, even in terms of animation, this is 30-year-old animation. Yeah. Like, uh, when that show was on, it was 30 years after the Flintstones and it was already getting hard to watch the Flintstones right. from the animation perspective. This is aged beautifully. Yeah. They don't do too much hand-drawn animation anymore these days. And it's like, I, that's a real shame because that's the kind of animation I prefer. Yeah. So it's like, I always forget how, I don't know how different everything looks when it's actually animated that way. It's just like, it's just a really well done show. And uh, there it's also like, um, I used to do it a lot in college. Um, this was like a great show to like work in within the background on because they, mm. they had the orchestra and the music and everything. Yeah. And it was just like, the voices were all so good. It's like, it was like just a great show to, they're just like, um, it's almost like having like a concert on in the back. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it was just like, I don't know how to describe it. It was, I used to do it a lot when I was working just because it was, you didn't have to focus on it. You know what I mean? What's well, funny. Uh, it reminds me, I, when I worked at Art Asylum, uh, I was taping it, you know, still VHS days. Yeah. And I would tape it. And then every couple of weeks or so, somebody I was working with, like uh, all the great artists were like, hey, can can I borrow that tape of Batman Amber Series? Can I borrow it? I was like, yeah, I'll bring it in. And then I would bring it in and work would stop. And I got pulled aside <laughs> at one point and was like, you got to stop bringing in Batman the Animated Series because nobody's working. Everybody yeah. just starts watching Batman. And I'm like, and I was like, I brought it for him to take home. <laughs> yeah, like, not put on in the store. But it, yeah, but I, I was the same. I would have it running all the time. It was like, and like I said, there's so many shows I go back to, even of that time period, that I kind of have to put myself back in those shoes. Like shows that I still love and I still think are great. Like I'll watch an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation or, or The X-Files. And I'll have to like go, okay, this was in the nineties. This is what TV was like in the nineties. And it's kind of a nostalgia trip and Batman, yeah. the animated series. It's almost like watching nineties Simpsons. It's so current nineties. Yeah, Simpsons it's like all, is, So of its time. Yeah. I mean, nineties Simpsons age is better than 2000 Simpsons. It's yeah. like there, when you get to that level of perfection, it's never, it, I don't think anyone's going to ever say about Batman and the animated series. Do you remember that old cartoon? Yeah. But uh, but speaking of Batman, and we as we mentioned already, we lost another artist, and I know uh, was really high on your list. But one of the big runs he did was Batman Superman was Carlos Pacheco. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, he was another one where I didn't know he was sick. It, it only got announced like recently that he had ALS, which is like um, I don't know if you know anything about it. It's like a horrific thing to go through. We used to do videos. Uh, the company I used to work for uh, would do videos for like ALS foundations and you'd meet these people and you'd hear their stories and stuff. And it's like, it's just like a really horrifying disease. Um, but uh, they announced a couple months ago that he was sick and they would have to discontinue basically working. He had gotten too sick to work and then he just passed away just this past couple of days, I think. Yeah, a lot like George Perez. Where George yeah. Perez, it's good. It just, see, couldn't hold it pen anymore right um so it was just crazy because i was talking to my buddy ken about him after the news came out i was like wow this happened and we were just talking about all the different like projects and stuff that he's worked on and it's like he had just brought back um aerosmith 
don't know if you've ever heard about this or read this. It's kind of this like obscure. Not the band. <laughs> not the band. No, it's like um, him and Kerbusiak worked on this, and it's basically like um, an alternate reality where magic exists, and it's a story set during like the First World War. So it's like soldiers using like dragons and rock trolls and shit against each other. You know what I mean? And all the countries have weird names and the there's vampires and shit. Um, and it was a really cool book. They did like probably like in the mid to late nineties. And uh, I was like obsessed with this book. I was lending it out to everybody. And, and then it went away. They just did the one story where like a kid learns how to like become part of like a dragon core and go fight like during the war. And then they, they announced they were bringing it back, I think, late last year. And they came out with, like, a new story arc with, like, Pacheco drawing and Kurt Busiek writing. And it's this beautiful, gorgeous, like, illustrated book. And they said that they never stopped working on the project. But they couldn't – their schedules never lined up again. So they were going to do it as a novel. And Pacheco was just going to do, like, um, chapter illustrations throughout the book. Oh, wow. And he said he had like five books or something written, something crazy. Or no, I don't know how if he had five books. He said he if if they converted the books to comics, he said it would be about five years of comics. Wow. So they said that they were going to just work on this and just keep going. Um, and then I so I don't know if what's going on with the project or where that landed, but it was just like this book came back that I kind of thought was done for. And he was such a good artist. Uh, and then you're just kind of like, now it's like, I don't even know if I want to continue reading something that like, Oh, if they bring somebody else in to draw it or if they cancel, cause it's like disrespectful to continue it without him. It's just like, uh, he was one of the first guys that I was chasing like a back issues down for his work specifically that Avengers forever. He did with Busiek was like a back issue bin book for me. And then I think it was Superman, Batman where, he was drawing it while I was reading a monthly book. He was the artist incoming on the title and he was phenomenal. And then he did that JLA JSA crossover. Did you read that? The, yeah. um, it was like virtue and vice. Yes. Apparently he wanted to do that as like, um, I was reading one of those like articles where they like debunk comic myths and stuff. And it was like something uh like where they were going to kidnap the president and attack the white house, like terrorists were going to do this, but then nine 11 happened. So they had to change the story. And that's why it's about like Lex Luthor and uh, Despero and aliens and stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess it was originally supposed to be like, um, terrorists attack the white house. And then it's like splits the JSA and the JSA into like basically like a right wing and a left wing. Like mm -hmm. they'd have like, it was going to be a bit more like a political commentating, but then September 11th happened. So it changed how the book was, ended up what the book ended up becoming but um yeah i mean he was just like a really great artist and it was really cool to see him anytime he showed up you'd be happy because it was like the guy was just a solid solid artist it yeah, was he just... was one of those guys that there's not a lot of long runs and i remember no. i remember first seeing him at marvel in the mid 90s and it was at that time when uh the mid 90s when all the image guys had left and they had stopped copying well, like everybody stopped trying to draw like Jim Lee yeah. or Todd McFarlane. And there was this wave of guys that were very anime influenced coming in, you know, like Mike Wingo, Joe Matarira and uh, Salvador LaRocca, uh, uh, Stuart Immerman uh, was anime at that point. And Pacheco is one of those guys at first, but it's like, and he would do these quick hit and runs. I remember he did like three issues of X-Men where he brought Shang-Chi in and it was like Shang-Chi and Wolverine. That's cool. Fighting, and then he was gone. And then 
Then that period, Fantastic Four was right about to end and come back with Jim Lee, and they gave Carlos Pacheco two issues, and he like redesigned all the costumes. Yeah, I was like, like we all know you only have two issues. We know this isn't going to last, but they just let him go. And there was always something special to his art. There's always something that seemed to push a little farther, and you know, move a little further out. And and as you said, it seemed like in the 2000s, you'd see his stuff in DC more than Marvel. Yeah, but again, uh, again, it was always like these quick hit and runs. He did like a few issues, and then he'd be gone. There's no, there's no. Hey, do you ever read that five year run of Green Arrow with Carlos Pacheco? There's no run like that in his whole. Yeah, career. that's the thing. Is he was it, there's a it's a lot like um, and it's funny because his art is kind of similar to Alan Davis. Um, but Alan Davis is the same way. There's yeah. no huge Alan Davis run on anything, but it's yeah, it's, I think there's a bunch of little projects all scattered all over the place. Yeah, and, I, you could make a case for Excalibur maybe being the longest run, but it's not yeah, even that long. Right, and it's he's not on all of it. You know, Captain Britain is similar, but like they did this book, Marvel put out an omnibus. Um, it was a John Byrne omnibus, and it was basically they collected a bunch of just like John Byrne stories. So different yeah, like Marvel Universe by John Byrne. Yeah, and they should really do stuff like that with like Alan Davis specifically just because it's like he's been in the industry so long and is, he he doesn't have any big run like this. And Carlos Pacheco would be another great uh, candidate for like a project like that just because yeah. it's like, you know, it's like uh, – I might not want to read all that fantastic four just to read his issues. You know what I mean? But I would just read his issues, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's happening. I don't know if we're getting old, but it just seems like it's happening faster and faster. It's yeah. Like there's more and more people that we grew up with that are just not with us. And they're, you know, they're not that old. Like, you know, yeah, I read both these guys were relatively young, you know? Yeah. I, re I read today that Bud Freeman, but Freeman, who ran the improv for years, was like this empresario of, of club comedy. Uh, and he died at 90. And I was like, oh, okay. But Kevin Conroy is like 66. Yeah, that's a, it's just sad. Yeah. Know? It's like it's yeah. like you got a whole life. You know, my dad's 72, you know? It's like you have like a whole chunk of life left still, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm getting to the age where people are dying that are younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? Well, okay. What? Why am I getting up tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what edge did I have on this guy? Yeah. Uh, you know, dumb luck sometimes. You know. Yeah. It's just, it's just more and more. Well, um, we we could spend the whole next week on this, but going into people that have passed away, we just got a whole Marvel movie that was supposed to be a sequel for Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Who passed away before this movie opened, and and we got a movie that was very, very different than yeah, originally I, expected. I think it's very similar to like, um, not out to the degree. I mean, this is the title character. You know what I mean? That's such a big, important, it's crazy. It's like Batman, the dark Knight, um, dark Knight, and then dark Knight returns or whatever. The one with Bane, the movie, that was not the movie. That was not the third movie that was Christopher Nolan was planning. You know what I mean? Right. The death of Heath Ledger changed that movie. It's the same thing. This movie would be unrecognizable if Chadwick Boseman was still with us because it wouldn't have been this movie. Um, yeah, I know we'll we'll spend all next week probably on Black Panther, <laughs> but it's like uh, at a high level. What did you think? At a high level, I I really enjoyed it, and I think they handled everything as good as it it could possibly be handled um, in terms of like the story. I thought everything was handled like really respectfully, um, and I think they did a good. They pulled. I think they pulled off like what 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 looked like a hellish 
um, situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's high level and, and minor spoilers when, uh, when I left, I mean, certainly one of the themes is about grief and it's about like, it's about losing important people. I mean, it starts with that, Yeah. but, uh, but I remember reading an interview with Ryan Coogler, like after Shadow Boseman died, where he's like, I don't know what the second Black Panther movie is going to be. Like I yeah. have no idea. And it, it, I think they did a great job with it because I could see I, I I almost felt like Ryan Coogler had a meeting with Kevin Feige and was like, I don't know. This is where I want all the other characters to go. But, you know, but T'Challa was the center of that. I got no story. And it I going in because the trailers don't really tell you anything. Yeah. I was like, is this going to be this might be an ensemble piece. It might there might. I was kind of thinking there might be like six subplots jumping around like a season of television where it's like, okay, there'll be a Shuri story and a Nakia story and Okie story. And they'll just bounce around and, you know, maybe there'll be some set pieces, but it's not going to come together. And uh, it felt to me almost out of de- desperation, the best move they made. It almost seemed like, like if Kevin Feige in that meeting went, well, we were going to do a Namor movie and we never did. And he's like, why don't you take everything we were thinking about doing for a Namor movie and attach it to this? And it could have been such a Band-Aid. And, yeah. you know, it could have been such a weird mishmash. But it worked perfectly. Just the idea of, like, taking this character, who's a major Marvel Universe character, uh, but then filtering it through the Black, the Black Panther prism, the visual look. I mean, to turn Atlantis into this other tribe. Yeah, I think it was, you know, uh, all that stuff I thought was handled like really brilliantly because I I similarly I only watched the one trailer and I was like, when the movie started, I'm like, wait, who's the villain? I'm like, I don't even know who the villain in the movie is. I I didn't know what the plot was. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying. I had no idea really what I was getting into and I had completely forgot that I, you know, obviously knew because I saw images of action figures or whatever for Namor. Um, But I thought they handled it really well and it's this guy, Ryan Coogler, um, it's like, you want to give the keys of the kingdom to the next, like the Russos are gone. They're, they don't want to do these movies anymore. If they want to make a guy in charge of like directing the next big Avengers movie, it should be this Coogler guy. It's like this, this is the second movie where he created like a phenomenal villain. You know what I mean? It's like Marvel has such a villain problem, but it's like, this guy has it figured out. Namor was a compelling character. He wasn't like a cackling supervillain, you know? Right. He had all the, the shades and dimensions uh, that he did in the comics because as we were leaving, I took the boys and I, and I took my girlfriend and she was asking, she's like, well, I've, n- I've never heard of Namor. Who is he? And like, and, and, and as I was describing it, she, her eyes got wider. wider. I was like, oh, well, you know, he was one of the first superheroes in the 40s and then they didn't use him. And then he was a Fantastic Four villain who wouldn't stop hitting on the Invisible Girl. And then he was in the Avengers. <laughs> it was like, you know, they were so all over the place yeah. that for them to be able to focus. was usually, And also the big thing was that DC made a very big Aquaman movie. And, yes. You know, and uh, shallowly, when she said, who is Namor? I go, I, as I'm trying to describe Atlantis and that he's a mutant and that he can fly. And I was like, I stopped myself. I was like, he's Marvel's Aquaman. I mean, he just yeah. is. And the fact that no matter what you think of the quality of the Aquaman movie, it was a huge movie that made Jason Momoa a superstar and everybody saw it. Yeah. To not do anything that would be, that would make people think like, oh, now you're doing Aquaman. 
is is stunning in and of itself. Yeah, I, I think it's like they changed it so much from the comic, and normally that kind of stuff would bother me a lot, but it was handled so well, and it would it worked so well with the story that it was hard to um, really have any issues with it. And the I don't know who the guy played him was, but he did like a really well good job of doing it. It's like I was like terrified of Namor the whole time he's on screen, yeah, because he would they, he is so strong, and it's it's they did a they just handled everything really really well i was very yeah because um, baku also and baku calls him he's like so we are going to fight a man who lives in the water and the land and is a hulk yeah <laughs> yeah they they really do and then to throw on top of that riri williams of like oh yeah and then we'll just do an iron man character yeah like, that i uh that fit into the movie better than I thought it would based on like yeah. the, uh, the, what I had heard, the fact that she's just in the movie, it was like, okay, that's fine. You want to have come out with another Iron Man. She's going to get a show. Okay. That's fine. You know, um, that, I, and, it doesn't bother me, but she was so organic to the plot yes. of like, well, this is what yes, it wasn't like completely shoehorned in there. No. And it, it's also like, well, this is what African-Americans go through as opposed to Wakandans. Uh, and she fit into that culture. And I sat through the whole movie. There is a mid credit uh, scene. There is no end credit scene. Yeah, no and end credit scene. I was waiting the entire time for Don Cheadle to show up and be like, I heard you got an Iron Man suit. And then it's like, oh, the, now it's Armor Wars, which we heard is not going to be a Disney Plus show. It's going to be a movie. And oh, I was Armor like, Wars is going to be a movie now? Yeah, last I heard, because it wasn't listed in the phases, it's going to be a movie now. So is it Iron Man 4? I, I think it's just called the Armor Wars. Could be oh, War weird. Machine One. I have, I mean, yeah, Marvel movies, Marvel movies. But I really thought, okay, we've introduced Willie Williams. We've shown that she's like that she can make Iron Man. Even the cops say she's got an Iron Man suit. Yeah, I thought that was actually like a cool line because it's like that is how the cops would talk in this universe. You yeah, know what I mean, they'd be like they would know instantly what this trick was building. <laughs> right. Uh, so I really thought, okay, we're gonna tease the next thing, and then I realized it's so true to itself that. They could have shot that and gone like, you know what? The end of this movie, let's not talk about other movies. Let's just, like Endgame, let's just end this movie. Yeah, I wouldn't be I was upset if we were done with the end scene credits. It's like, it's it was a gimmick. It was fun while it lasted. But now it's just kind of like, it's almost kind of annoying. <laughs> well, know? now it's a reason to make you watch all the credits. That's it. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's so, they're strange. It's like the mid credit scene's fine. Because usually, like, you're sitting there after the movie, you're talking with the people you saw it with, and then it's like, oh, there's the last scene. It's like, all right, now we can go. Yeah, but I think uh, it, it's a it's a very compelling, sophisticated, complex movie. So I think we're giving it short shrift to just cover 10 minutes. I think let's, uh, let's reconvene yeah. on Wakanda forever. Assemble and, the crew. Yeah, we'll do a whole episode. Uh, but do you have a greatest thing this week? Uh, honestly, it was going to be that movie, um, but I did get the, I don't know what version of this is, but it's from the latest Black Panther with the movie figure set. The Oh, the classic Hasbro. Jack Kirby Black Panther. Yeah, with the cape. I, uh, I've got a few Black Panthers, one from you, and then I've got the Shuri that came with Claw. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is like, they keep coming out with like a perfect version of like the character. And I then know. it's just you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the last one you're gonna need. They nailed it. It couldn't look better than this. Yeah, I got three venoms in the last six months. I'm like, why do I have so many venoms? And I'm like, each one's just a little better than the last. Yeah. And it, and you're making me think like I I have a great Black Panther that's you know almost ten years old, and I was like, I don't need that. He's wearing a cape, and I'm starting to think, 
Yeah, maybe I need that. This is Fantastic Four, Jack Kirby, Black Panther. Yeah, it's like it just—I don't know. They did a—they do such a good job on these things. It's like they're very hard to pass up. And then I—we haven't been on the show even at the prices that they're pushing them. I do tell me about. I got this from a uh, uh, Graham Cracker comic books, which is like <laughs> where I'm at now. And this was—it was fucking thirty dollars for it. Yeah, it's yeah, like we... there—it's crazy. Oh, and then the price of movies is now twenty dollars to go see a movie. For you? No, not everywhere. Cause where did you go? I went to just like a theater in the city. Did you see it in IMAX? No, just a regular movie. It was like I went to I went bucks. to that theater in Downers Grove and that was that was ten. Ten bucks? Uh, yeah. I got ripped off. Yeah, you gotta come back out to the suburbs. Uh, You're living like a city boy with no money. I know. I have no money. Um well I I watched um I did get some figures. I got uh, I got a venom. Amazon Venom three pack that was cool. I got the Nicolas Cage Spider Noir, which is a Target exclusive uh, that was really hard for me to get because I couldn't pre order it. But uh, my greatest thing in the world is uh, absolutely weird. The Al Yankovic story. It oh, I've heard about this. It's incredible. Uh, it's on the Roku channel, which I found out you can just download for free. You don't need an account. You don't have to pay for it. Uh, was not available on Apple TV, but my Samsung TV got it. So you download the app, and then and then it's on the front page. This is the movie where it's a fake uh, biopic of Weird Al. Absolutely everything in it is complete bullshit. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, it, Daniel Radcliffe plays Weird Al. Weird Al is in it as a record executive that doesn't want to sign Weird Al. <laughs> it rem- It's so funny because it reminded me of... Um, Two movies which I've watched recently, uh, oddly, it reminded me of both uh, Walk Hard, the uh, John C. Riley, oh, Johnny yeah. Cash parody, and also a movie that not enough people have seen. It's, uh, it's streaming on HBO Max again, but Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, which is Andy Samberg in The Lonely Island, and it's a parody of like Justin Bieber. Okay. Uh, and all three of these movies just beat you over the head with jokes. And uh, and they all made me laugh so goddamn hard. But yeah, it's it, it's hard to describe without giving spoilers. Okay. Pretty much, there are so many people in Weird that I was like, why isn't this guy in it? <laughs> because I was like, it was became process of elimination. It's ba- and it was based on a funnier die sketch that they did like ten years ago. Okay, and then they blew it out to an entire movie. And it's funny because some of the parts have been recast because like in, um, in the short Patton Oswalt plays Dr. Demento who like becomes his mentor. And in the movie it's Rain Wilson, which I was oh, like, weird. okay, that's a good lateral move. Yeah. And, uh, but then Patton Oswalt shows up. <laughs> it's like, oh, weird. There's like a concert where Patton Oswalt's in the audience yelling. And it turns out he broke his foot, which uh, he talked about on his last special. And he, he couldn't do the whole movie. But the oh. fact that they were like, all right, we'll get him in. And in fact, in the short, uh, it's not Daniel Radcliffe. It's Aaron Paul. Like, oh, the Breaking Bad guy? Jason Pinkman, yeah. Yeah. Which is really funny. And they tried to get him in to the movie. But between Westworld and COVID, he wasn't able to, to do it. So they did reach out to everyone who was in that short. But it um, it's, it's kind of like watching Walk Hard for about an hour. And then I will say... It goes completely off the rails. That is awesome. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, we're here now. All right. So that's all I'm gonna say. It's, okay. it's the definitely the funniest movie I've seen all year. 
maybe the best. Wow. In 2022. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So I, yeah, everyone, I don't know where if it was a work or school, somebody was talking about it and they were saying like, they couldn't believe how good it was. Like it yeah. was just like, they were, they were surprised and it's free. Yeah. It's like, I, how do you beat that? You know? Yeah. I mean, they're, it'll, they'll show you commercials, but so what it's sure. Yeah. I could see it's through commercials when they're giving you a product for free. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, COVID has taught me that there's very few movies I need to go to. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's like uh, we were saying about black Adam is like, it might just be easier to just wait at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, because I think I, if I was if I was gonna drive to a theater now, it's like I'm probably just gonna go see Black Panther again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, well, Halloween Ends taught me. It was like it was on Peacock and in the theater, and I watched it on Peacock. I'm like, man, I'm so glad I didn't spend like fifty bucks to go out, right? Because you know, I'm not gonna go alone, and I'm gonna eat. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to walk away from streaming. So if you want to walk away from streaming and listen to the show every week, there's ways to do that. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, but of course, Stitcher, Amazon Prime, uh, iTunes, just search for Caffeinated Comics. Really, we're the first thing that comes up. There used to be there used to be a coffee shop that had comics in San Francisco, but they've been closed for years. <laughs> so so uh, we can come up. But you can also follow me, on, not in my book, on Instagram. I'm still on Twitter, but who knows how long that's going to last. <laughs> so you can, so probably the best place to go is facebook.com slash caffeinated comics, where we post all the news that's happening or what's going to happen in every episode. Steven, how do we follow you? You can follow me on social media platforms at the brave butter pecan. And uh, as you listen to this, we'll be coming up on our next MCU MCU review, which will be Black Panther. So we'll be talking about the first film now that the second film is out, which Stephen also means we're coming dangerously close to Infinity War and having you back at the MCU review. Oh, that's going to be so tough for you. Yeah, it sure is. Really (laughs) twist my arm. But uh, you can listen, you can watch that on video on. I believe on Twitch and on YouTube and listen to it as an MCU podcast. But as we said, we'll be back next week with uh, a much deeper look at Wakanda forever. And we will talk to you then.